Hello, and welcome to the Fantastic Minds podcast. In this week's episode, Kate, Tej, and Matt will be discussing the topics of utopia and dystopias within some popular media, including the movie Zootopia, the movie Elysium, and some literature that includes books like Divergent and The Giver. What exactly classifies as either utopia or dystopia, and what is the distinction between the two? Keep listening to find out. All right. So for today's episode, we are looking at utopia and Matt and Kate will be also comparing uh, dystopia. Um, But for my segment of today's episode, I would like to look at uh, the movie Zootopia, which uh, happens to be uh, almost a pure uh, utopia, which is pretty interesting. So the movie came out in 2016 and it centers around the story of Judy Hopps, the first rabbit to join the police force in this utopian town where animals, uh, both predator and prey, live together, um, which in itself is part of a utopia. But the main story is, yes, Judy Hopps and uh, Nick Wilde, the fox, have to work together uh, to uncover uh, uh, this evil plot. And so I, I found this very interesting because um, it's, a, it's a very interesting example of how utopias are represented in the media. Um, and I found this amazing resource called Disney and Philosophy, Truth, Trust, and a Little Bit of Pixie Dust. Uh, and chapter 23 uh, is a breakdown of the utopia that is Zootopia. Um, and when reading this, I, the chapter points out uh, three utopian ideals that exist in the movie Zootopia. The first one is the ideal of security and social order. This is shown in Zootopia through the, uh, the police force being of multiple different animals. There's a lot of representation um, and also in the sense of the, the social order, all the animals, even if they're predator or prey, they work together, they coexist and, and they live together in peace and harmony. Uh, the second utopian ideal uh, is that of individual self-determination and self-fulfillment. This is not as, as readily obvious when you're just watching the movie but it's once you you notice it it's very clear and this uh utopian ideal shows up in the the story arc of um judy hops the police cop or the the rabbit police um and from a very young age we we learn in the movie from a very young age she always wanted to be a cop and Everyone told her, oh, you're too small, you're too this, you're too that, and you'll never be able to make it. Um, But in this utopia, she is able to uh, self-determine and fulfill her her desires. So this this utopia is, it allows everyone to achieve what they want, which is uh, a really important 
um, founding like center stone of utopias. Um, and the third utopian ideal uh, in Zootopia, which is very clear, uh, is a just multi-species society. And this one is probably the most relatable to the real world in the sense that it's uh, the utopian ideal is of a just multiracial, multicultural society. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of us strive to achieve, but is, is something very difficult because especially you see it in the movie uh, and also in real life, we always end up focusing on the stuff that separates us, which really doesn't coincide with this utopian ideal of peacefully existing together. Because to do that, there has to be a certain level of almost assimilation where you have to like give up a little part of yourself to become together, um, which is a real struggle uh, in for the way that humanity has evolved. We've evolved to define ourselves by uh, our culture, uh, our family, our looks, our abilities. And so there's, there's a, a very strong divide in that, in that sense of reality versus utopia in the real world. All right, guys. So I am going to be talking about the movie Elysium for our uh, Utopia podcast today. And I know for anybody who's seen this movie before, you're kind of kind of scratching your head because it's a, a largely dystopian film. Um, but so I'll just get into a little uh, a little summary of what Elysium is. So the year is 2154. And Earth's citizens are living in poverty with inadequate medical care. But the rich and powerful are living on this big space station in orbit called Elysium. Um, so Elysium is super technologically advanced. It's just seen as this essentially perfect society for the rich and powerful who can afford to be on Elysium. And the big thing that they have are these med bays that can cure any and all diseases and also reverse the aging process as well, and even regenerate lost body parts. So these med bays are only available to Elysian citizens, um, so just the rich and powerful, while the people that are still um, stuck on Earth have very inadequate uh, medical care and stuff like that. And basically everything on earth is run and controlled by robots that are basically programmed on Elysium. So after hearing a little bit of the plot uh, summary, and if you've seen this before, it kind of, the question that comes to mind, and we've discussed this in our class as well, is who is this really a utopia for? Um, Obviously, it's a utopia for the people on Elysium because they have kind of a, a worry-free life. They never have to worry about aging, disease, you know, any really anything bad happening to them, they can get healed. So it's kind of, it's really interesting how 
the viewpoint and perspective in utopias plays such a big role um, in looking at them. So within this movie, um, it follows, let me find his full name here, it follows Max DaCosta. Um, he's a former car thief um, and he's on parole living in the ruins of Los Angeles with um, a lot of basically everyone that was living in Los Angeles is in this impoverished kind of really shambled together community. Um, so he actually makes these robots or helps make them in a big factory that control the entire planet of Earth, essentially. They're the judge, jury, and executioners of Earth. So Max um, ends up in an industrial accident and gets extremely bad radiation poisoning and is given five days to live as long as he takes the medication that is supplied by him. So kind of finding that out, he basically wants to get into Elysium to use the med base that they have there. So to do this, he has to get up to Elysium. So one of the things that they first try to do is um, there's three ships that get sent to Elysium to try to, you know, break in and use these med bays of all refugees that are on Earth. Two of the ships are shot down and killed on the way up there. Everyone on, the, on them is killed. And the third ship that actually does make it is um, everyone is either killed immediately when they're on there or they're deported back to Earth, which not very many of them make it back. So this kind of reinforces the point I made earlier about who is this a utopia for? You know, all these refugees are solely trying to get to Elysium for this medical treatment that they have. And they're obviously denied access to that in a very um, forceful way. So Max finds himself um, in kind of a pickle, essentially. So he gets um, a body suit surgically attached to him. So he has like super strength and super speed and stuff like that. So then he eventually gets on a ship, um, gets to Elysium and he has a code in his head that will allow all of the citizens of earth to be recognized as Elysian citizens so they can actually use the med bays. But to do this and spoiler alert here, if you guys haven't seen the movie before, um, he ends up dying in this process as well because it's um, encoded in his memory. So it's a really good kind of a David and Goliath style story. And it portrays the whole utopia dystopia viewpoints um, extremely well. All right, and it looks like Kate has a question as well. Yeah, so um, I have never watched this film before, but it sounds really interesting. And just as Matt was talking, I did a little bit of research into like the reason why the producer director, um, his last name is Blom Blomkamp made this film. And in this article, it says Blomkamp has made it clear that his film is less of a warning about the future than an allegory for the present. And this is what he says. People have asked me if I think this is what will happen in 140 years, but this isn't science fiction. This is today. This is now. Um, and that's what he says. So I think going back to what we are talking about, like who is this utopia for? It's for us right now. As Blomkamp says, this is an allegory for the present. And just thought that would be a good thing to add in. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Um especially in the United States, how 
kind of backwards our healthcare system is it's really, you know, it really benefits the rich and powerful and the people that can obviously afford these um, top tier um, medical care, basically. And yeah, Tej, do you have something? Yeah, I was literally just about to say, as Kate was talking about the, this being an allegory of today's society, just like you pointed out, this reminds me a lot of the situation we're in in the United States right now. This forceful rejection of um, immigrants and thinking of them as less than us. Um, it's, it's, very, it's very powerful to see that played out in popular media and to be able to realize that that's us. It's not this this fantasy. It's not what's going to happen in 150 years. Like the director said, it's, it's today, it's tomorrow, it's yesterday. Absolutely. Yeah. And this movie came out in 2013. Yeah. August 9th, 2013. So it's kind of amazing that like even seven years ago now, like this was an issue and it is still an issue that, you know, we don't have any sort of great healthcare plan for anybody but the rich and powerful. Alrighty, so this is Kate here. And for my segment of today, I'm gonna to talk about some examples in the literary world uh, where we see this concept of utopia played out. So the first one I'd like to talk about is probably the first one that I've read. This was, I think, in ninth grade. It's a short story called The Lottery it's by author Shirley Jackson. And in the setting, I mean, it starts out immediately by Jackson describing like a seemingly perfect and innocent town. So I would like to read the beginning of it. It says, the morning of June 27th was clear and sunny with the fresh warmth of a full summer day. The flowers were blossoming profusely and the grass was richly green. And then it goes on to talk about how, you know, people in the town square were very polite and courteous to each other and everything was very, very ordinary and very perfect and without fault. And I don't know about anyone else, but when you start to read a book where it's like, there was nothing out of the ordinary, <laughs> you start thinking like, uh-oh, like something's gonna happen, right? To disrupt this perfect environment. And that's kind of how you can switch from utopia to dystopia, whereas dystopia is like a perfect world, a utopia gone horribly wrong. And so, I'd like to talk a little bit more about what ends up happening in the short story called The Lottery. So for this one, um, basically the town, it's not really clear if it's ruled by like a governmental figure, but everything is like going perfectly. The villagers are all nice to each other and they have enough to eat and that sort of thing. Um, and every year, I think it's on the 27th of June, this each citizen will gather in the village square and they'll take part in an annual lottery. And the lottery, the name itself sounds very innocent and it's just like getting free money. But in fact, in this one, it has a more dark history. Um, the children 
of this town, the short story describes the children as going around to col collect rocks for this tradition. And you're thinking, huh? What does it mean by a lottery, but then the children are collecting rocks? And basically the lottery is that every person, every adult will draw a piece of paper and whoever has a piece of paper with a black dot on it, they are to be bound and stoned to death by members of the village. So that's why the children were collecting the rocks. And so you start to see this more sinister tone take over. And that's really something because a utopia is apparently something where there's no violence or anything. But oftentimes in order for it to stay the, as perfect as it is, there has to be some sort of like sacrifice in order to keep the system moving. And so that's why I think this is a perfect example of that because in this particular one, um, there's a woman and I can't remember her name, um, but she ultimately picks the straw or picks the piece of paper with the black dot. And so she knows oh my goodness, like it's my time. And at the end she's screaming out, no, it isn't fair, it isn't fair. But you can imagine the irony of all the other years past where she would have thro uh, threw stones at people and she thought like, this is perfect. Like it makes our whole society run really smoothly. We just have to do this one thing every year. And then it takes a bad turn because it's her who has to do this. Um, okay. Yeah, so, oh, Mrs. Hutchison, Mitch, oh, sorry, <laughs> Mrs. Hutchison is her name, and at the end she says, it isn't right, it isn't fair, and they were upon her. Um, it's a good example of human dehumanization because rights are not being respected, and then individual individuality is lost in the mass hysteria, and I think that's another common sign of a utopia, where it's more just like the people as a whole rather than individuality. And whoever is in control of the community wants everyone to kind of be the same. That's another, um, per, there's another great example called The Giver. It's a book by Lois Laurie and it's a really short read. It's like uh, under 200 pages and it tells about a society that wants perfection so badly they have to give up human freedom and even human life. And it looks like Tej has a comment. Yeah, so as you were talking about this, this last example of um, the, the stoning to death part, um, and you were mentioning like the, the people in control kind of run everything and uh, want to control assimilation. I found it really interesting because that's also kind of part of a, a utopia and a dystopia. It's, mm -hmm. it's an exactly. interesting trait that they share because in a utopia, you want a certain level of assimilation so that people accept each other and work with each other. But in a dystopia, you want an arguably same amount of um, assimilation, but the people in power use that assimilation to control everybody. Mm -hmm, definitely. It all comes down to the power and who has the power and those people who control the populace, ultimately the rule doesn't apply to them. So it's so interesting. And yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. And we can see this too in The Giver where this society is so perfect on the outside, but when you really look into it, 
at what cost? It's at the expense of human freedom and human life. Um, so the plot kind of circles around the main character. His name is Jonas. He just turned 12 years old. And when you turn 12 years old, you get assigned like a job or a role to help your community. And his, I forget what his role was. Oh yeah, it says at the ceremony of 12, Jonas is assigned to be the receiver of memory. Unlike everyone else in the community, he will have memories of the past transmitted to him by the elder known as the giver. And so it says, as Jonas starts to receive these memories, he learns more about what has been lost in his community's goal to seek perfection. The people have no sense of color, for if they did, they might want choices in what types of clothes they wore. And such desire for choices might make them want to choose what type of jobs they want and so on and so on. And so that's really interesting. Now this is kind of coming back to me, the whole thing about the color. I think he actually has the ability to see color and he realizes that nobody else can. And this goes back to the whole idea of Yes, a utopia may seem perfect on the outside and often cases like it's good because it doesn't lead to class discrimination or poverty or hunger, but you have to give up some things in order to make that happen. So there's this real tug of war. Um, so that was the giver. Um, I, there's another book that is called um, Animal Farm and it's a utopia, although some critics have argued that it's a dystopia at the end because everything kind of goes up into flames metaphorically. Um, I won't get in too much to that one simply because it's been a while since I've read it and I don't have the best memory on it. Um, I don't know, there's another short story called All Summer in a Day, that's by Ray Bradbury, I believe. Um, that could be considered as a utopia. Um, uh, let's see here. Yeah, so unless anyone else has any other comments on this, that'll probably be it for me today. Ah, uh, yes, Matt. Yeah, so I haven't um, read or seen The Giver because it was uh, made into a movie as well. Um, but I did a little bit of plot reading and it kind of dabbles in that aspect of what is it you know what does it mean to be human essentially you know are we really um living or are we just surviving in that kind of a society because um from what i read and what you said they don't feel pain they don't feel joy you know they don't feel loss or anything like that they just they don't really feel so it's interesting that a utopia, quote unquote, is this kind of non-feeling, just dull and emotionless place. Mm -hmm. Definitely, yeah. And you know, that makes me think of in class, um, I believe it was on Monday, what we were talking about, what sci-fi often explores, what does it mean to be human or what's sets humans apart from the aliens or the non-humans and like usually people will say it's the ability for 
a being like humans to feel empathy or to have empathy. And I think that's something that's almost lost in instances like the community, the people and the givers, like you said, they're not able to feel. So are they technically human? <laughs> that's an interesting thing. Um, one last thing I would like to talk about is, um, I don't know if anyone, this pretty popular books and movies called The Hunger Games. And then there's also one kind of similar to it called Divergent, which I'm not as familiar with. Um, and I'd like to read here from this article, someone is talking about how Divergent can be considered as both utopian and dystopian. So it can be described as dystopian considering that the world is not as peaceful and perfect as it initially seems. Um, in contrast to a utopia, an imagined perfect world, a dystopia is defined as, as an imagined world in which everything is bad. Common themes include government surveillance, poor living standards, totalitarian regimes, brainwashing, concealing of information, class dichotomies, police brutality, and status crimes. Uh, so you can definitely see how a utopian society or what seems to be a utopian society can very quickly turn into a dystopian society as we see at what cost. All right, and that's a wrap on this week's podcast where we had the pleasure of talking about the differences of utopia and dystopia. Uh, we really hope that you gain some new insight after listening to our podcast.